Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then those virgins arose uh, and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should be not enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. He answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. morning. Thank you, Stephen, for reading from the passage for today. As we spend next few minutes in front of God's word, let's prayerfully sit that God will speak to us, speak to our hearts, desiring change in our hearts. Keep me also in, my, in your prayers as I'm also struggling with throat, as I've been having some throat issues for past many days. There was a boy who loved colors. So he, he, he wanted to connect everything with colors. One day he went, went to a wedding with his parents. He, he, he wanted to see what was happening there. So he, he enjoyed what was happening in the weddings. Everything with beautiful colors, decorations, and all those kind of things. He was enjoying the ambience there. And he was seeing that all the people were all wearing beautiful, bright, bright dresses. Just for a moment, he had a glimpse on the bride. Then, then he saw that bride was wearing white. Then he asked Dad, why is bride wearing white color when everyone is wearing so brightly dressed up? So Dad didn't have any clue about what to say. So finally, he had to come up with an answer. So he gave an answer saying that white signifies as purity, goodness and innocence and all those kind of things. He thought he gave a brilliant answer and he, he was so satisfied with giving such an answer. He thought for a while and he looked at uh, the pastor. Dad, then why is uh, pastor wearing white? That explains really why, why we see that pastors in black colors. Very often in our day-to-day life, what happens is like we, we focus on the lighter things of our life and miss the most important thing. Today we are going to look at, the, at a wedding scenario and draw some lessons from, from those, the, that wedding scenario. Today's message is really important for each one of us. Very often we have get into a thought that our salvation is unconditionally secure because of the things what we do in church or the family we are born into or many things what we do associated with that. Is it really true? 
are we really saved? This question might make us a bit uncomfortable, but it's more important that we hit the reality, we check the reality sooner than we, 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 we meet it later. Before we get into the text for today, uh, let's get into the broad context of the passage we read now. <clears throat> gospel of Matthew was primarily written to a Jewish audience to persuade them to believe in the gospel of uh, gospel and demonstrate that Jesus is in fact the true Messiah. In the gospel of Matthew, we see primarily a uh, lot of uh, teachings of Jesus while abbreviating the miracles of Jesus. We see at least five major discourses of uh, Jesus in that um, book of Matthew. First, we all know the uh, ser- Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7. Next one we see on Matthew 10, 13, and uh, 18, we see the third, uh, fourth one, and and finally we see uh, chapter 24 and 25, which is the fifth and the final discourse from which the, our passage is today taken. Now, we, when we come to the immediate context of the passage we read, uh, we see that uh, in Matthew 21, Jesus and his disciple has come to Jerusalem, which is the which is a final visit of Jesus to Je- uh, Jerusalem before just before his crucifixion. In fact, we see uh, just after two days he was going to be uh, handed over to the uh, to the uh, council, and all those kind of trials was going to happen in just two days. He enters the temple. He cleanses the temple, and later when he was leaving, he foretells the destiny of the temple. In chapter 25, we see that Jesus and his disciples, while coming out of the uh, temple, disciples points at a uh, building of the temple and says the beauty of the, exclaims the beauty of the temple. Uh, That that verse is not very clear in Matthew 24. If we see the parallel passage in Mark 13, verse 1, we can see that. Now, uh, Jesus says that the, Jesus says the destiny of the temple in verse two that even though it is externally beautiful, externally beautiful, uh, it it lost its beauty because of what was happening inside the temple. This temple was in fact very beautiful. This temple was constructed by reconstructed by Herod. Uh, even uh, it started in BC twenty and it went on for many years, made up of large stones and all. It was, in fact, a wonder structure for people coming from Galilee. And uh, disciples were coming from that region. So it, for them, it was a really a beautiful temple. But Jesus tells a very important lesson there that even though it was externally beautiful, it lost its beauty because of what's happening there. This sets the tone and the, and the warning which is going to come later in the, in the, in the uh, teaching of Second Coming. So what he says is that Things is not what it is seen from outside. So we need to pay attention to that, that particular thing. So now in response to that particular thing, Jesus, uh, G- uh, disciples ask two, two questions. That is seen in chapter 24, verse 3. Tell us when will these things be and what will be the signs of your coming and the end of the age. Now, from chapter 24, verse 3, until the chapter, end of chapter 25, we see the fifth and the final discourse, which is also known as the Olivet Discourse. This is a private teaching of Jesus to his disciples, telling them about what is going to happen in future, especially with regard to the destruction of the temple, and secondly, the, uh, secondly regarding the eschatological events. Eschatology is simply the study of last days. Jesus answers the first question by saying, clearly the time frame 
and the events what you need to be watching for for the destruction of the temple. And it was very clear to the disciples with that teaching. And this destruction, in fact, this prophecy was fulfilled in AD 70 when Romans attacked the Jerusalem and was completely that, uh, that particular temple was built, uh, brought down to rubbles during the uh, during Jewish revolt from AD 66 to 20. AD 66 to AD 70. Now, this, was, this prophecy was already fulfilled as Jesus prophesied. Now, the second part of the, thing, the question deals with his second coming, to which he exhorted the disciples to be watchful and be prepared because the day or the hour no one knows. That is what, uh, it starts from 24 verse 36. That's exactly the verse we read also uh, talks about in 25 verse 13 as well. Now, in the second part of Olivet Discourse, Jesus uses three parables from uh, 24 verse 43 to the 25 verse 33, highlighting the importance of being watchful in three separate different, different situations. First one, talking about the householder and the thief, highlighting the importance of being watchful for an unexpected return. We don't know when he's going to come, so you need to be prepared. Second, talks about the faithful and the unfaithful servant. That talks about need to be prepared even when he could come sooner than you expect. And third one is the parable watch, what we read today, which is parable of ten virgin, which highlights the importance of being watchful. Even his return could be delayed more than you normally expect. Now to understand this, par- uh, the, this text for the parable, we need to understand the c- cultural and the social setting during the uh, during that time of near ancient Near East, <clears throat> Jesus uses a very familiar social setting for this parable. Wedding was a momentous and a joyous occasion for a Jewish during that time. The, uh, these festivities of these weddings went on for many days, it, even up to seven days. The, the weddings uh, for them consist of mainly three stages. First is the engagement. The, in the engagement, a formal agreement is made between the groom and the bride's father. Then comes the betrothal, where the mutual promises are made between bride, bridegroom and the bride. Even though their, their marriage is going to be much later, they are considered marriage and bride is, is consecrated for the, for, the, for the bridegroom. Groom returned to his father's house to prepare, the, prepare a place for... for, for uh, for the bride to, to come and come with him. And this, th- there is a waiting period starts. So the waiting period approximately lasted for one year. In this particular cultural context, Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 2 and 3, I have gone to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to myself. While the bride had the responsibility to prepare the place for the, uh, for the bride, groom the groom, so bride has to uh, make sure that she, she is kept herself pure and she is, she is uh, uh, watched for her purity. If you remember, uh, it was after this uh, waiting period, uh, after this betrothal, after the, uh, after the, sorry, after the betrothal of the Mary, uh, he, Mary was conceived with Jesus uh, with the power of Holy Spirit as we read in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. It was a big concern for her because it, 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 she would be considered uh, unfaithful and her, the marriage could be terminated by the help of elders and she could be even stoned to death. 
And that's the reason, exactly the reason Joseph wanted to do away with that marriage in secret. But later he changed my knowing the reality through angel. The, fi- the final stage is the consummation of marriage where, where finally the groom comes for the bride with his bridal party to take him, to, to take her to uh, her, uh, his own. Now, when the, uh, when the groom actually starts from his home, there will be echoes uh, sounded through the streets to let the bride know that bridegroom is coming. Though the though groom's coming is sure and certain, and bride, in fact, waits for it, there was uncertainty regarding the exact timing of his coming. That's the reason there were clues which was given for that. So, finally the bridegroom comes with his bridal party and take the bride for her, him, uh, himself and they, they go to the wedding feast and the door to the wedding feast is shut and it usually happens during the night. This is a cultural context of the, the parable what we read today. Now when we understand this which will give you a more meaning to that parable. Now, in the parable, we read that there are ten virgins mentioned in the in the in the, in the uh, parable. Ten is a usual number that Jews could associate with. It was a very favorite number, I can say. You know, they they used to have minimum ten number uh, ten people for the uh, synagogues to form. They need to have minimum ten for the Paschal supper and so on. So, the ten was a very favorite number for Jews. So, you and also the ten was a normal number for a bridal procession as well. Uh, so that is why we see the you know, the ten what Jews could relate to. In our text for today, we see that first two stages is already over, which is simply the engagement as well as the betrothal. Now, uh, the bride uh, bridal party is waiting for the groom to come for the bride. The so then we see that as the bride <coughs> as the bridegroom gets delayed, all of the ten virgins get uh, goes to asleep. Five of them were mentioned as wise and five were foolish. The, the difference is simply we see, where we see that they didn't have enough, enough supply of oil. The crucial moment has arrived in the midnight when groom starts from there and the announcements uh, are, are heard by the, the, bride, uh, the bridal party. That is when all the, the ten virgins get up to meet the, uh, meet the bridegroom. At that point is when the uh, foolish virgin realize that they don't have enough oil. In uh, verse 7 of 25 says that they trim their, oil, uh, trim their lamps to, uh, to prepare themselves. That simply means that they were, they were putting that lamp into function so that it can be used for the further use. When they realized that they didn't have enough oil, they asked the help from the wise virgin and say, can you share the oil with us? But wise virgin refuses that and say, it wouldn't be enough for both of us. And say, uh, tell them to go and get it from the, <coughs> uh, the dealers itself. Uh, they, they finally goes off. We don't know whether what has happened. I would want to show you a slide. Yeah, this is the model of a lamp which was used during the uh, ancient Near East. As you can see, that lamps are made of flat clay structures which had an empty space at the bottom to oil, hold the oil. Uh, 
there would be separate containers, as you can see there, that could contain the oil for the reserve. Wick is there at the top to, to supply the oil and uh, to burn the lamp. As you can see from this lamp, these are very small lamps. The lamps are literally useless if you don't carry an extra supply of oil. So it's a fundamental error from the side of foolish virgin not to carry that. That's the reason I got this image uh, to show you that it was a fundamental error from their side. The wise virgin would have gone by the daylight to get the oil from the dealers. The foolish, the foolish virgin had the opportunity, but they didn't do it. The wise virgin were prepared in every single sense to meet the bridegroom. While the foolish virgin thought they were prepared, but they were not really. Now, if you look at the previous chapter, 24 verse 37, we'll get some more idea about that. As in the days of Noah, they were eating drinking and giving in marriage, which means that they were simply engaged in the routines of life. But that's when the destruction came upon the, the people during the Noah because they were unrepentant and unprepared. And the verse goes on to say in verse 40, two, two, men will, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. So in our parable, it was not the sleep or the daily routine that distinguished the both, both groups, but it was, in fact, one group were rather unprepared. By the time the foolish virgin go to take the buy, uh, buy the oil for themselves, the bridegroom come and uh, take those who were prepared, and the door to the wedding feast is finally shut. The foolish virgin returned by the time and make a desperate plea in vain to the bridegroom to open the door for them. They thought that being invited for the uh, wedding or in fact being part of the wedding bridal party means that they will be definitely given consideration even if they are late. Otherwise, they wouldn't have come uh, you know, during midnight to make an attempt to come, uh, come and meet the bride, bridegroom. The, but bridegroom rather gives a shocking reply. It says, truly I say to you, I do not know you. It's a very unusual and not a typical response from a bridegroom during that time. They were very hospitable. They, were, they showed excellent, uh, excellent uh, hospitality to the members of uh, guests. And especially if, if they were bridal party, you know, they would definitely never refuse them. Jesus is actually bringing an antithesis here or an opposite to the normal culture there. It simply means that it is normally not what you expect. That is the exact reason you see some kind of shocking reply from the bridegroom. Here Jesus gives a strong warning that that fate of the foolish virgin is cannot be changed and it's irrevocable. Jesus finally tells to watch therefore for you know neither the day or the hour for the uh, no, not the day of the hour as he says in verse thirty. <coughs> From the context of this parable, we are very clear that this is talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And from other passages from the scriptures, we can be sure that this bridegroom is in fact representing Jesus Christ himself. Here is probably a setting of a celestial wedding ceremony. We have no other references in scripture specifically for that, but, uh, but this could be something alluding to that. This brings us to the very important question that will be our focus for today. 
who are these virgins this virgin is simply people who are part of the believing community or people who are part of the church when i say they are part of the church there are two groups first group is the people who have the saving faith and who who are truly saved in fact they which i'll be calling as true christian and in fact they are the wise virgins the second group is a foolish virgin or they represents a merely professed christians inside the church when i say professed christian that means that they claim to be knowing the lord they say that they know very well the scriptures they say that they are waiting for the lord coming of the lord they show all the outward marks of the mark mark of a commitment to the lord but truly are they saved no they are not so this parable is not a parable talking about believers inside the church and unbelievers outside of the church let's be very clear on that the, this parable is specifically a warning addressed to the people inside the church who claim to be part of uh, jesus christ and but they are not really saved so why do we have so many pro- profess christians inside the church or mere profess christians inside the church just imagine a hypothetical case where the, uh, our eldest jochen and rebichen had an access to the book of life which is in heaven if they had that access so they could check our names are there in the list or not and they could easily uh, say that you are not saved or you are saved this is something we could have done but we all know this is not possible unfortunately we could we can't get a sneak peek into the book of life that's simply not possible bible throughout teaches us to define the christianity by the profess faith and the fruit of that particular faith but mere profess faith based on the external signs can lead us to a false sense of security that is that could that could be a very dangerous situation to be so that is, that is the exact reason we find many warning passages inside the scripture which sometimes neglect those kind of warning passages because you think that that doesn't apply to me at least five of the warning passages are there in hebrews itself so we'll be looking at what what are this this uh, false sense of security that that gave this foolish virgin you know uh, you know thought that they could be part of the wedding party irrespective of their unpreparedness this is exactly the case with many of the prophets christians in our churches here is an image i have created to rep, uh, give, give you a representation of the people inside the church as you can see inside the image uh, there are people outside the church or we call it unbelievers but we see that there are true christians as well as professed christians inside the church just like we see many things many things in common between both wise virgin as well as a foolish virgin we also will see that many things are there in common between true christians as well as the professed christian while following our while following our genuinely part of a true christian that in itself is not a guarantee that you are a true christian that should not give us any false sense of security that just doing this kind of external signs i'll be part of i'll be truly saved so we'll be looking at the first part what are these similarities and second thing we will see 
what truly differentiate these both groups and that that is a authentic sign of being a safe, being saved we'll draw our lessons from um, from our parable and learn some lessons from that external signs that could give a false sense of security first being a member of a local church when you see all the 10 virgins together we can't distinguish between them all of them had the wedding garments on all of them were waiting for the bridegroom all of them had so many things in common that that gave a sense of false sense of security to the foolish virgin that irrespective of their preparedness they would be part of the wedding feast we pointed out earlier that these in virgins in fact represent the church as a whole which consists of both true christians as well as merely professed christians but being part of a, a local church doesn't mean that you have a right relationship with Christ, jesus christ himself i remember when i was growing up uh, you know there uh, my parents used to be very strict about going to church they they used to say that you know you need to go to go to on time and all those kind of things and they used to be very strict that i need to be part of all the meetings and so and uh, absence from church is sometimes seen as a very serious offense there is nothing particularly wrong with that i am not condemning that at all there is absolutely nothing wrong with that but when we lose the essence of why we are part of this church why we are part of any church we we miss the point and we this being part of a church become merely a ritual for many people that is when we tend to develop a false sense of security that being part of a church means i am saved it's a very dangerous situation for a professing christian or a mere professing christians being part of a church or church attendance give them a great sense of satisfaction and joy than being having a right relationship with christ itself we can be part of a sound church having an excellent teaching and it can be an unsound christian so if you think that being part of a church is can give me an uh, give me an entry to heaven then we are just like the foolish virgin who thought that being part of a bridal party can give me access to the wedding party there is a book which was written by uh, john warwick montgomery in uh, 1970 which is called damn through the church that that book main, uh, mainly exposes the the issues where church is leading many to hell because the church is self-centered is propagating a self-centered gospel and it is not centered on the christ himself so so what happens is like in that cases they give undue importance to the the attendance of church to set the things right with god i'm not particularly telling anything about cbf as such but i'm telling of a church as a whole many many people who have come from the many other churches could relate to that my brothers and sisters we shouldn't be part of a local church i shouldn't be part of a local church in the idea that being a part of a church can give me an entry to heaven we all know this truth this is not something new to us but we have somehow developed a false sense of security that being part of a church means that i could be saved this can give you a false sense of security and because many times we think that being born into a christian family and being faithful attendees of a brethren church or any other doctrinally sound church can means that my salvation is secure 
we could be member of a visible local church but yet could be excluded from the universal church which is invisible which consists of only true believers of Christ across the globe when god designed the church he had a wonderful idea it was primarily to display his manifold wisdom to all people around the world as we read in ephesians 3:10 one of the ways he could display that wisdom is when <clears throat> when the when all of the believers are joined in unity with the head as christ there are two kinds of fellowship there first is a fellowship with the believe as believers and all all as a all fellow, um, the fellowship as whole to the church itself second purpose of the church is to exercise the spiritual gift which god has endowed on us to minister one another to edify and to encourage one another Hebrews 10:24 and 25 says and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together god's command is very clear those for those who are true believers we you are not supposed to neglect the assembling of the believers through local church god is not designed you to uh, grow in isolation when you are believer his plan is clear that you need to be part of a local church to grow together to have fellowship and all those kind of things but that in itself is not a sign or that in being a part of a local church is not a sign that you are a true christian and that should not give you a false sense of security that being a part of a church means i am saved now it's time to ask ourselves why are you part of a church it's time to introspect now second point we see that right understanding right understanding of god or orthodoxy at the end of the parable the foolish came knocking uh, at the door saying that lord lord please open to us now the usage of lord in greek kyrios means that uh, it was meant to denote the deity of jesus and it was central for the development of christology now secondly we see that in the jewish context when a name is called twice it is meant to denote that uh, that that they, that person is intimate or to establish a sake of intimacy for example we see uh, many examples in the scripture first one we can see that abraham being called when he was about to sacrifice isaac we see abraham abraham moses being called from the uh, burning bush samuel being called in the sleep all uh, and all these things mean that they were uh, they were having some kind of intimacy we see at least 15 such instances in the bible one of the famous usage being uh, uh, jesus cry of desolation on the uh, cross we see my god my god here the foolish virgin is not calling lord he's they are calling lord lord this has a special meaning in this particular context from the 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 way they are addressing lord it means to say that they have a right understanding of god because they are acknowledging the acknowledging jesus represented as bridegroom as god himself and they are publicly acknowledging it secondly from how the plea is made we can know that they sh- they had some kind of intimacy they some kind of form of intimacy uh 
but jesus replies rather very strange he say that truly i say to you i do not know you now even if this was a call for establishing the intimacy they were too late for doing that when uh, i and sina was got uh, got married 9 uh, years back uh, it was like uh, one of the big fat kerala weddings in uh, th- during that time our parents went about calling many people and on that day almost like 1000 people came i think some of you could relate to that who came uh, but funny part was like we knew only very handful of people uh, you know like uh, though they, they there were many people coming they many of them come to us talking to us so intimately that they know us and things like that uh, but we couldn't relate to them at all all through those time we were like oops i really don't know you <laughs> we though we can't tell that aloud like that that was the state we were in and sometimes they they tell us to acknowledge the relationship that is when we end up in a big trouble <laughs> i am sure many of you can relate to such a situation it is not in this sense jesus is telling that i do not know you omniscient god obviously know them he is well acquainted with their ways but the usage i do not know you means that he doesn't have a communal fellowship with the way they are addressing lord lord this is a strong passage from the warning from the pa- passage that right understanding of god or intimate calling of addressing of him itself is not a sign that you are a true christian that should not give us any false sense of security if a person think that, think that i am saved because i am having an excellent knowledge of bible and scriptures i am able to articulate the words very well that person is just like the foolish virgin who thought that the intimate calling and having a right knowledge could give them a access to the wedding party he you know a very well passage from john chapter 3 nicodemus was a pharisee and a member of a jewish ruling council being a pharisee we can imagine that he fasted two days a week he could have prayed two hours daily in the in the temple and he definitely would have tight tight distinct come and he being a religious leader we could imagine that you know he was a professor of a well known theological seminary many of us would want to have him as an elder in our churches but see what jesus says in john chapter 3 until you are born again you are does not enter the kingdom of heaven when we see say all these things we must know that right knowledge of god is very critical for the christian a true a true christian we cannot deny deny a deity of christ or any other fundamental doctrines and be a true christian see colossians 1 says 1:10 uh, says that bearing fruit in every good works and increasing in knowledge of god this verse clearly highlights the importance of right knowledge god expects us to grow in the right knowledge of god but that in itself being having a good knowledge of god or having an excellent skills from the scripture that does not guarantee that we are a true christian that should not give us any false sense of security and this is the question we need to ask when we are learning the scriptures we need to know are we having the right relationship with god before we get into knowing god let's move to the next one 
Third, right actions in view with the scripture or what we call it as orthopraxis. As we went through the scripture, we, uh, we, the parable, we saw many things apparently done right by the foolish virgin. We see that they are waiting for the bridegroom. They had their lamps in hand. They got up to meet the bridegroom. Even when they ha- didn't have oil, they asked help from the uh, wise virgin. They went down to purchase the oil. All these show that they were not lazy by any means. They were in fact very, very industrious and they, they showed an outward marks of doing many right actions. But unfortunately, none of their right actions could give them an access to the wedding party because of their biggest folly of not having an extra supply of oil. The scripture talks about many right actions, practices and attitude to be followed by a true Christians. That in itself should not give us a false sense of security that you are a true Christian. Let's look at some of these and learn some lessons from that. First, expectation of second coming of Jesus Christ. All ten virgins were expecting for the bridegroom to come and take it, take, uh, be, with the, be with the bridal party and be inside the wedding feast. They had the desire, they had the genuine uh, desire to be part of that. But that genuine desire in itself is, was not a guarantee that they were prepared for itself. So that in itself is not a mark that they were prepared for meeting the bride. Let's turn our attention to an Old Testament scripture which gives a similar analogy. I want you to turn to Amos chapter 5, verse 18 to 20. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is it not the day of the Lord darkness and not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? Day of the Lord is a very popular concept used by the prophets throughout the uh, prophetic writing. This concept means that Lord is coming in judgment to conquer the nations and to establish the people of Israel for themselves. Israelites were looking forward to that day. They hoped that Lord will judge their enemies and establish them as a people forever. But Amos dashed their hope saying that the day of the Lord is not what you expected. It's going to be what you are expecting. It is a time of judgment for your own. In verse 19 and 20, Amos uses two metaphors to show the popular error in their thinking. Man flees from the lion and meets a bear. And the man uh, man enters his home, that is a place of his security, where he is bitten by a snake. The meaning of both these metaphors are very clear and powerful that Israelite who saw the day of the Lord as a comforting thought for them but they will soon realize that that the, the, that is a judgment for them because they were faithless. Now, this was the fate of the Israelite who hoped and desired for the day of the Lord, but didn't have a right relationship with Lord Himself. This will be the same fate for all the prophets Christian who desired for the coming of the Lord, and they will be soon going to be surprised 
by the the response from the lord if you are not a true christian and you are expecting the return of the lord you are expecting your own doom the expectation of christ in itself is not a sign that you are a true christian and should not give us a false sense of security for those who are a true christian paul in second timothy 4:8 exhorts us to eagerly wait and love uh, eagerly wait and love for the appearing of the lord and hebrews 9:28 exhorts us uh, encourages us with a similar thing for a true christian that should be our true prayer we should earnestly look for the lord's coming we should in fact desire that lord should come fast fast but that in itself should not give us a false sense of security next uh, we'll see that ministries in the name of god there is nothing in parable uh, particularly alluding to the uh, ministries in the name of the lord but jesus talks about a similar plea which was made by the foolish virgin in matthew 7 verse 21 to 23 let's turn to that portion matthew 7 verse 21 to 23 it says not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day many will say to me lord lord did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name do many mighty works in your name and then i will declare to them i never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness do you see some parallel here yeah so the word many is used just before also in the same uh, chapter verse 13 it says many will enter through the broad gate of destruction this is a very strong passage that means that it's not some of you it's not few but many prophets christian will come that day and make such a plea in the above verse we can see that many things were right done apparently done r- rightly in the name of the lord probably modern paraphrase version of verse 22 could be lord lord i have been a preacher i have been a good sunday school teacher and i have been led many to christ but lord's response will be i never knew you we can engage in all of this yet not be a true christian there was a confession from uh, from a fallen worship uh, leader who was leading a life of duplicity where he could successfully manage uh, a, you know his ministry on one side and where he was deeply inside his sexual sin he justified his action saying that god didn't hear his prayer now listen to his prayer god if you want me to quit going to strip club take away my voice from me but his singing stayed strong his ministry flourished in the church even when he was deep inside his sin success in ministry in itself is not a sign that god has entered your ministry and should not give us a false sense of security that you are in god's will let's take an example from the scripture itself uh, demas was a fellow worker of paul in the gospel ministry of paul during his first imprisonment uh, in rome he was with him for quite some time and in fact sometime at least during the second imprisonment as well in rome paul we see that paul referring to him in colossians 4 verse 14 and philemon 1 verse 24 but later at the end of paul's life he is making a confession about demas in second uh, timothy verse uh, 4 verse 10 it says demas has loved the world and depart deserted me it in fact it was implying that 
he was in fact fallen from the faith itself we can't imagine a person who was closely working with paul to uh, you know fall away from faith but it has happened in fact it has happened to demas so any involvement in ministry in itself is not a sign that you are a true christian and should not give us a false sense of security i could add many many uh, many act, right action to this list it could it would it could include uh, obeying lord in baptism waters of baptism being partakers partakers of lord's table acts of worship prayer giving generously enduring persecution even up to martyrdom i could go and explain each of it but i don't have time for that a false professing christian can engage in all of it yet miss being a mark of a true christian paul when writing his last letter in timothy to timothy in second uh, timothy chapter 3 verse 1 to 9 talks about dangers of a false christianity <clears throat> when it comes to verse 5 gives you a solemn warning it says in verse 5 having an appearance of godliness yet denying its power we can all have an appearance of a godly person we can we can mimic many things what a godly person is doing we can show many external signs of an ho- holy po- holiness and yet we can deny its power by simply being a mere professed christian satan has succeeded in his ministry when he has given you a false sense of security inside the church that that is his biggest fin it is nearly impossible for us to distinguish between professing christian and true christian based on an external science but an individual will be able to know based on his heart condition having said that let's look at what are the real and authentic sign of a true christian on what he must have the comfort and the assurance of his salvation authentic sign that must give a true assurance there is only one thing that distinguishes between wise virgin from the foolish that is that one didn't have a supply of oil a true christian is distinguished from the uh, merely professed christian purely based on their salvation whether he or she is truly saved or not being born again is a, starts with an act from the god god the holy spirit when a sinner sinner is regenerated from his spiritually dead state where he feels convicted of his sin and he feels genuinely repentant of his own sin in the light of his light of the holiness of god he he knows that he cannot save himself but to put the trust in the lord jesus christ himself and finally he makes a confession of faith to lead, give his life to the lord <clears throat> often we associate grief or sorrow as a sign of salvation but that itself is a deception sometimes that can lead you to deception in second corinthians 7 10 paul talks about two kinds of grief associated with the salvation that could that are on two different poles uh, poles it says in 7 10 for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret whereas worldly grief produces death worldly sorrow is when someone is regretful or sorry about his deed is sin but he is not never repentant of his sin let's take an example of a criminal who is undergoing a 
trial for his crime what is done and judge has pronounced a death pronounce life imprisonment on him he could be sorry about his sin he could be feeling regretful about what is done he could feel sorrow that he is not able to be part of his family he is away from his family he cannot see his children grow up these are all some kinds of signs of sorrow but that is not a sign of a true repentance whereas he can have true repentance when his sorrow is associated to his sin himself and he is part ways with it when he is released from the prison similarly if a person is merely sorrowful about his sin that is not a sign that you are truly repentant of his sin that can often be misleading as well but godly grief produces true repentance that leads to salvation that is when you feel the magnitude of your sin in the light of god's holiness that is when you realize you are wretched man and you cannot save yourself but to put the trust in lord having said that let's look at three authentic sign of having a uh, being a true christian that you must have a true assurance in christ first communion fellowship with god <clears throat> we see at the end of the parable uh, foolish virgin coming back and uh, making a plea that is when the bridegroom say i do not know you we already said that i do not know you simply means that they never had a communal fellowship with the bridegroom a true christian must have a true and intimate fellowship with the with the god spending time with god through prayer and reading the scripture is not merely a ritual for that person that is not another to do for him in the the day to day life that is a time he look forward to that is a time he wanted to spend time jesus when talking about such a relationship in john chapter 10 verse 14 says i know my own my own knows me that is a relationship of trust and intimacy do we have such kind of communal fellowship with our lord let's look ourselves second one we see the evidence of indwelling of the holy spirit a person who is truly saved is having a holy spirit living in him romans 8:16 reminds us of one of the roles of the holy spirit living in that person the spirit himself bears the witness with our spirit that we are the children of god the internal witness of the holy spirit is a great comfort for a true born again believer that means that even though you go through a tough time the holy spirit living in in him bears a witness that you are a true christian and god is in control of your life that is such a comforting thought to know another manifestation of holy spirit living in a person is uh, the external signs of fruit of the holy spirit we know we all know that passage in galatians 5:22 the fruit of the holy spirit love joy peace kindness and so on if you are a true believer of christ and holy spirit is indwelling in you we will exhibit authentic external sign of the holy spirit which is by exhibiting the fruit of the holy spirit do we have both internal and external evidence of the holy spirit living in you let's look third one hate sin first john 3:9 says no one born of god makes a practice of sin for god's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has born of god a true a true christian will hate sin he cannot condone the sin 
when they fallen in sin and holy spirit has convicted of him of that sin he, he immediately repents of that sin and moves away from that they cannot live a life of sin there was a true incident why um, where a pastor confronted a man about an adulterous relationship he was having the pastor pleaded with him to return to his wife saying you know jesus says that if you don't fight this, this sin this with the kind of seriousness that you are willing to gouge out your sin uh, gouge out your own eyes you will go to hell and suffer there forever as a professing christian he looked at the pastor as if he has never, never heard such a thing from the scripture or something it's completely new to him and he looked at the pastor and said you mean you think a person can lose his salvation this is the case with many professing christian they are disconnected from the realities of the scripture and think that being a christian means they they have a license of doing sin doctrine of eternal security is sometimes often misinterpreted and is more of, often confused with the reality of the scripture we often paraphrase it once saved always saved but the question is are you once saved hebrews in chapter 3 verse 14 says for we have come to share in christ if we indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end this means that if you are enduring to the end that means that you already have a share in christ perseverance of a, perseverance of the saints is simply means that you are already truly born again perseverance is in fact a sign that is not a means of getting it if you are truly born again then you will sanctify your life in line with the scripture every day of your life and you will go on to persevere that is for sure but mere professing christian cannot claim such a thing such a promise because you ha- never had a share in christ at the beginning a true christian does not practice a life of sin not because he has a reputation to protect in society or in church but that is because he has a new nature in christ that is the difference of being a true christian so hating sin and having a progressive sanctification is the sign that you are a true christian and that you must have a true on that you must have a true assurance of salvation having said all these three signs we need to know that we are not going to be perfect in all these things in day one we are going to improve in all these things day to day life we will have ups and downs in our life we will go through struggles in our spiritual life but if we we are going but if you are true christians we will still show these kind of signs in our life if we if any of us lack any of these things we it's time that we get back on track now in conclusion what is the message we have heard to, uh, what is the solemn message we have heard for today from the par- parable a true and a professing christian will be distinguished at the second coming of christ or when he is going to meet the lord we need to be prepared for for him to meet now and not later we should not have a false sense of security based on what we do externally but should have a true sense of security on the fact that we are in fact truly born again but true believers are called to exhibit all these external signs to minister one another as a as a outflow of a in, the change they have in themselves in conclusion i want to give you one last illustration <clears throat> george whitefield was a very famous scottish uh, preacher who once preached from the parable of 10 virgins among the many who were sitting in the pew were two young dashing men who uh, who were listening his uh, sermon few feet away from him 
and the lady was sitting next to them and they were listening uh, the sermon <coughs> when the preacher said that the door do, do, the door was shut they, the both of them were, both these young men were having an amusement among them and uh, in, uh, disregarded that that saying what if the door is shut and the door will open no the lady uh, seen this amusement from them uh, uh, it was not long after that the uh, this preacher continued saying there may be there may be some careless silly person who might be sitting even here today who may neglect this impressive truth by saying what if the door is shut and the will open they the two men were paralyzed they never thought such a thing coming from the preacher they they were they were th- thought that they made a very funny comment the preacher continued saying yes and the door will open i will tell you what that door will be the door to the eternal hell fire or the door to the bottomless pit brothers and sisters let's not take this message lightly but rather heed to it with full regard before we pray, pray and close i would want to ask us one question which group can you identify with wise or a foolish virgin it's easy for us to think uh, based on what we said i know many people who uh, fits this description very well or i have read about many christians who have having such kind of life we are not called to judge others this message is for you and me in fact for me itself sometimes i i was stumbled by this message uh, when i was preparing it we should have a personal soul searching question which uh, should we which should ask us lord is it i am i the one who is holding a form of godliness that is giving me a false sense of security can we make a genuine prayer that we we are not presumptuous about our salvation we started with the question are we truly saved it's time <clears throat> it's time that we answer that question genuinely based on what we have heard are we truly saved let's not be surprised from from uh, when we meet the lord that i do not know you rather let's do a reality check now if any if any of us are convicted by the holy spirit that you are mere leading a prophet's life and having going through the motions of spiritual thing and not be a true christian i urge and plead with you that you do not live today without having a true experience of salvation for those who have the true assurance of salvation let me encourage you to, and examine ourselves to see whether we are truly faithful to in whatever lord has committed to us and be fully prepared to meet our lord and hear that well and faithful servant enter into my rest let us stir one another in love and good works while we wait for the blessed hope the coming of our lord and savior jesus christ before we play uh, i can we all sing one uh, hymn first and last stanza of that uh, my hope is built on nothing less let this be our prayer that that we should not have anything other than to hope on the lord and that be our prayer Is built on that
Father, thank you for this time you've given us, helping us to learn from your word, Lord, to know that you are true God. Lord, many times we hold the, some form of godliness and yet we deny its power. We te- sometimes go through the motions of spiritual things, not being a true Christian, Lord. We are really sorry about that. Help us to realize that we have only hope on you alone and not on the external signs, Lord, that we do or know, Lord. Help us to truly know you and have a faith in you and know that we are a true, true born-again believers, Lord. Lord. Lord, as we hope for you to come, Lord, help us to cleanse ourselves in our daily walk with you and to sanctify our walk with you, Lord, and have a close relationship with you, Lord. Lord, help us to practice whatever we heard and pray that no one listening this word will perish and be found in you, Lord. We ask all these things in our Lord Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Stanley. Good morning, one and all. We welcome all of you to Calvary Bible Fellowship in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have a few visitors today. Um, we have uh, Samuel Paul, an evangelist, with his wife, uh, Jaya, and daughter, Naomi, from Bilai Assembly. Can you stand up where you are so that we can meet after you? Oh, um, can sit. Uh, we have uh, Matthew Burgess, evangelist and Bible translator from Nagpur Assembly. Brother Sid Bhatt, Myrtle Beach Bible Chapel. Okay. Um, Jennifer Diaz with her mom, Christine Diaz from Vasco, Goa. Hi. Nigel's parents, Mr. and Mrs. Jerry Simos from Vishwantwari Assembly. Um, James Isaac from Bahrain. This is the father of Justin, Karen, and Kishore. Hello, Uncle. Welcome you all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> 